0: 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And first in Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Then from Second Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us as at the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you I told you these things. This message this morning is preventive. I don't think, I hope no one here has a problem with what I'm going to talk about, but it's a very dangerous doctrine, theology, teaching, however you want to refer to it, that I think has been present in our world for a long time, and many Baptist folks adhere to it, consider it, and sort of approach life that way. I call it, abandonment theology now we're going to answer the question what is abandonment theology in just a moment but before we get to that I want to share with you and this is from years of pastoring things that I've noticed there are many different attitudes among believers today I'm going to deal with three of them right quickly but there are just many many different attitudes among believers one of them I call sincerity you know there are those folks who are just genuinely contrite before God They love God, they're saved, they're mortified at sin, and in general they're mortified at sin in the world and sin in their own lives. They take very seriously the commands of Christ. They want to be obedient to their Lord, they want to be obedient to their Savior, and they want nothing more to do than to do the will of God. I just want to be pleasing to God in my life. I want to do what he says to do. And so their whole life revolves around emulating Jesus Christ. In fact, they sort of had the attitude that the Apostle Paul had, that he wanted to be like Jesus. And that's what these want. And these folks are, in the purest sense of the word Christian, these folks are Christians, okay? And then there's one I call security. Some just see themselves as secure. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I'm saved, I'm sealed, I'm secure, and I'm sitting in the pew. You know, I'm, just, I'm saved and sitting, I guess. Saved, secure, and sitting is what they want to say. They say, I've got a ticket to heaven and nothing else matters much. I know when I die, I'm gonna go be with the Lord. That's all I care about. That's all I want to know about. And so many times, folks like that live very shallow and selfish lives. They live for themselves many times. They're not too concerned about others. They may be jealous. They may be proud. Sometimes they're guilty of gross treachery and gross corruption and gross sin. And what happens is these folks who live that way many times drive people away from Christ by their very lives. And the third one I want to mention is satisfaction. There, folks are dissatisfied. They go to church, listen to the sermon, sing the songs. They may read their Bible occasionally. They try to be a quote-unquote good Christian, but basically they're clueless as to what it means to be a Christian. They've forgotten that Christian means Christ-like and emulating the Lord Jesus. For some of these, their marriage is on the rocks. Their children dress and act and think like the world about them. And so we would oftentimes call them, because many times they just listen to the atheistic experts in the world, you know. And we would call these folks worldly Christians. I don't think there is any such thing as a worldly Christian. There's a worldly believer. But I think worldly Christian, just by the difference between the two terms, is an anomaly. Now, unfortunately, many believers, some even in the sincere category have adopted abandonment theology. Again, we're going to define it. We're going to tell you what it is in just a moment. But I think this is the reason that many lives of saved people and the lives of many churches and actually the cause of Christ in the world today is hurt because we are weak and we are ineffective because we're thinking about abandonment theology. I said it's very insidious belief it's a very insidious approach to living for the Lord so one of the reasons Christianity is quote unquote losing out today is because of this attitude well what is abandonment theology well let's look at first of all at the basis of it abandonment theology finds its basis in the thought that we are living in the last days now folks we are living in the last days okay But abandonment theology finds its basis in that very thought. And basically, what it says is well, since we're living in the last days, there's really not much we can do. You know, the world is getting corrupt. Jesus is coming back. People don't want to hear the gospel. People don't want to know about the Lord Jesus. And so, there's just not, because we're in the last days, there's just not much. Sin is rampant. The saved are despised. We just really don't have much of an effect, and we can't have much of an effect in the world. And what it encourages believers to do, what it encourages churches to do, I heard a man say this years ago, I'd first started pastoring. And I'll just give you a real quick history of the first church I pastored. It was split out of the church down the road. (laughs) That's the way it goes sometimes. What had happened, the church down the road was on a dirt road. And the old schoolhouse in that community became available and a group of people wanted to move out and start meeting in that schoolhouse, but those who were just latched onto that old building didn't want to move. And some of the ladies were tired of walking in the mud to get into the church house. And so there was a big division and the group that I ended up pastoring went out on the highway and got the old schoolhouse and turned it into a church house. But that's how that split came about. And I was talking to a man that was a member of the other church down the road. And they, their number was smaller. And they were having difficulties. And here's what he said. And here's what so many today are trying to do. He said, we're just trying to hook in and hang on. And you know, that's what so many saved people are trying to do today. We're not trying to advance the cause of Christ. We're just trying to hook in and hang on, preacher. See, it would be an embarrassment to us for the church to go out of business... And so we're trying to just keep as many folks together as we can keep and that way maybe the Lord will come back soon and he'll take us out of all of this and we can say, hey, we made it to the end. We didn't give up. We didn't quit. See, we are no longer in the Lord's churches today an army that's moving forward to certain victory. You know what we are? We are a remnant that is in retreat that's trying to outlast the enemy until the cavalry arrives. Remember the old western movies when the fort was under attack by the Indians and boy, they're just barely holding out and all of a sudden you heard the, the bugle call and here comes the cavalry and they just saved everybody in the fort. Well, that's where we are in the Lord's churches today. Lord, send the cavalry and the cavalry, in our way of thinking, is the return of Christ. Okay? So we're just trying to hook in many times and hang on. Abandonment theology is a faith, so-called, okay, I'm not going to really call it a faith, which deceptively pawns itself off as Christian because it operates in the name of Christ. Everything it says sounds good, doesn't it? Jesus is coming back. We're living in the last days. It's just sort of a feel-good theology that patronizes Jesus. Look, I can be a church member. I can be a child of God. I can sit down and I can do nothing and I can feel good about it. Because we're in the last days. And we're not really going to be able to do a whole lot. And because it wears the name of Jesus and because it approves the things that he teaches, it has a legitimacy among people. I don't think anybody would deny, I don't think any reasonable Bible scholar or anybody who studies the Bible would deny that we're in the last days. I certainly don't believe any reasonable person who studies the Bible would deny that Jesus is coming back. I don't think they would deny that Jesus saved. I don't think they would deny that the world is getting and going to get even more corrupt. And it all sounds good, and it all sounds Bible, but at the same time, you know what it does? It creates and causes a disobedience to the cause of Christ. We can't do anything. Why witness? Nobody wants to hear. And so I don't have to witness to anybody, and I can just sort of live and and blend in with the world. So it creates a, a desertion of real Christian duty, and by the way, here's what it, the attitude it promotes. Why do I need to worry? I'm saved. Jesus comes back, the world ends. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to be raptured soon. And you know that's sort of a self-centered attitude. That is a self-centered attitude because where is the concern for the souls of lost people? Our Lord was compassionate. He saw the multitudes and the scripture says to him they were like sheep having no shepherd. And it says there in Matthew that he was moved with compassion upon them. He didn't look at the lost as being his enemies though they were in their minds. They were enemies to him. He didn't see them that way. He saw them as lost sheep. He saw them as people needing a shepherd. He saw them as people who needed to know him as savior. Abandonment theology sort of Causes us to think, well, those those lost people, they're the problem in the world. You know, if everybody was like me, it'd be a great world, wouldn't it? Don't kid ourselves, okay? Where's the concern for the souls of others? Abandonment theology looks at salvation almost as a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's all it is. Do you realize, by the way, that escaping hell is not the purpose of our salvation? So many people think, well, that's why I'm saved so I won't go to hell. No. Escaping hell is a result of our salvation. But the purpose of our salvation is that we would be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be in this world as elements that preserve this world, preserving elements. But it views the rapture as a reason to sit down till Jesus comes. That's abandonment theology. It causes folks to be like those in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, Paul was writing them. We read the first five verses. And you know what had happened in 2 Thessalonians? Some folks had said, we're going to sit down and wait on the rapture. We're just going to sit down. And remember years ago, this goes back a long time. I'm dating myself. But remember years ago, when up in Granis, Arkansas, there's a group of folks that just hold up in a house. They quit their jobs, they moved into this house, they stayed in the house, they're waiting for the Lord to return. Well, they'd have had a long wait, okay? But that's what the folks in Thessalonica were doing. You remember what Paul said? If a man won't work, don't let him eat. And so this was going on, and Paul wrote to them and said that they hadn't come yet, it's coming, and when it does, you'll know it's coming. You know, It's sort of interesting. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in my notes, but it's sort of interesting when COVID started. I had a lot of folks asking me, was, you know, is this the first plague? in I said, no, 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 no. Antichrist isn't ruling yet, at least not that we know of. You know, I think when he makes a seven-year pact with Israel, the news media is going to let us know about it. Maybe not. But again, so many people just really need to understand the Word of God. Now, let me ask you this. What is the difference between holding up in a house in Granite, Arkansas, and holding up in the church house, folks? Not much, is it? This is our safe place. This is our secure place. We can come in here. Nobody's going to argue with me about the Bible. Nobody's going to refuse to hear what I have to say. We can all love one another. And if I have to go out there and talk about Jesus then somebody might disagree with somebody might question me and so again abandonment theology comes into play it's the last days i'll just keep my mouth shut well why is abandonment theology wrong what's the problem with abandonment theology first of all it is escapist in nature over in the book of john and we're going to turn there it's just the 17th chapter of john and the 15th verse. Remember, in John 17, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for all believers. It's just prior to going to the cross. And look at what he said. See, Jesus did not pray for God to take us out of this world, folks. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil or from the evil one. We're not to be looking to escape this world. While we're here in it. God put us here. God left us here. I said the purpose of our salvation. Is that we might be witnesses. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And beginning in verse 13. We're familiar with these verses. But Matthew chapter 5. And beginning in verse 13. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus said. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? What does salt do? Well, salt gives flavor. Salt preserves. Salt does a lot of things. You know one of the things salt does? Salt makes you thirsty. And if we're salt, we're to be making folks thirsty for the Lord, aren't we? Jesus went on to say this. If it's lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You know what? An unsalty church is good for to be walked on by the world. You know what an unsalty believer is good for to be walked on by the world. That's what Jesus said, salt that has lost its savor is good for you just throw it out, put it on the footpath. Let people walk on it and trot it into the ground. But look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We came into Tiberius in the evening as I recall. And all these lights up on the hillside now you couldn't hide that city for anything right because a city that sat on a hill even if it was daytime you couldn't and there were no lights on you'd still see the city sitting up there on the hillside and that's what Jesus said you're the light of the world we don't need to try to be hidden we don't need to try to stay hidden we are the light of the world and what does the light of the world supposed to do it's supposed to be shining listen to what he said in verse 15 neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house I'm going to turn on I'm not going to light a candle I'm going to turn on a light bulb and I'm going to put a cover over the light bulb I'm going to paint my light bulb black and I'm going to turn it on it's not going to do any good why do you light a light to provide light What is the Lord's churches? We are lights. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify not you, but glorify your Father which is in heaven. Folks, we are salt and we are to be lights. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15, the apostle Paul said that we are to shine as lights to a crooked and perverse nation. And boy, how did he know about this nation when he wrote that, right? Where to be lights to a crooked and perverse nation? What good is a lighthouse that has no light? It's just a nice looking building on the seashore, isn't it? A lighthouse must have a light and warn people. What's a lighthouse do? It warns people of dangers. It warns people of the rocks. It warns them you're getting near the shore. That's what a lighthouse does. And that's what this house is supposed to be. And I don't mean this building, I mean this body. This house is supposed to be a lighthouse to the world about us. I said it's escapist in nature. But listen to Paul's attitude. For I am in a strait betwixt two. This is Philippians chapter 1. Verses 23 and 24, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, if you want to know what the desire of Paul's heart was, there it is. I want to go and be with the Lord. Because there's something a whole lot better than this world, all right? I want to go and be with the Lord. But, he says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Yeah, I want to be with the Lord, but God's got something else he needs me to do here on this earth. When God gets through with me, he will take me home. And in the meantime, what did he say in Philippians 1.21? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's attitude. Yes, I'd like to go be with the Lord. I have, and you probably have family that we'd love to see again. One day we'll see them in the presence of the Lord. But God didn't say, rush that up and get there as quickly as possible. He said, when it's time, I'll call you, but you have a work to do. You know, God could have saved us, and the minute we were saved, just taken us out of this world, taken us right to heaven. And that would have been a whole lot easier than living in this perverted, cursed world, wouldn't it? But he says, no, while you're there, you need to be witnesses of me. But not only is it escapist in nature... Abandonment theology is rebellious in nature because it encourages believers to disobey the Lord's command, especially in the last days. In Luke chapter 19, we have the parable of the pounds. You remember the parable of the pounds? The the master, the homeowner was going on a long journey. And he called his servants and he gave pounds. He gave money to his servants. One got ten, one got five, and one got one. You remember the story, and the one with ten, he went out and earned ten more. The One with five, earned five more, and the one, it may have been two, I may be wrong there. I mean, it may, and the one with one pound, what did he do? He wrapped it up in a napkin and buried it in the earth so nobody could steal it. Here's the problem. When the master came back, there was a time of accounting. Does that tell you about anything? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Okay. There's a time of accounting that's coming and we will give answer for what we have done with what God has given us. I believe individually we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And of course the one with the 10 talents that had earned 10, or the 10 pounds, I'm sorry, that had earned 10, he said, well done. The one that had earned five with his five, well done. But the one that just wrapped his and stowed it away so nobody could get it, Nobody could see it. The Lord referred to him as a evil servant, in fact. But what this nobleman told his servants when he left was this. After he gave them these pounds, he said, Occupy till I come. I used that verse many years ago, and I shouldn't tell you this because I may decide to preach this message here one of these days, but I preached a message called, Do We Occupy or Just Take Up Space? Because there's a difference between occupying and taking up space. A lot of times we think they mean the same thing. No, you know what occupy means? It means to be busy or occupied. It means to be doing something. It means to be occupied in a business. It means to be working. And this man told his servants, you work. I've given you these pounds. You work until I return. Occupy until I return. And in this parable, guess what? We relate Jesus to the nobleman, and we're the servants. And Jesus has given us salvation. He has given us the abilities that we have. He's given us his word, and he said, now you occupy till I come. You get busy. You be busy serving me, witnessing of me, until... I come. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Instead of sleeping, folks, we need to wake up. Yes, it's the last days, but we don't want to sleep through the last days. We need to be busy serving God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we understand that we're to be doing this because we know the truth. There are bunches of churches in this world. There are bunches of things that call themselves churches in this world. Let me rephrase that. Not all of them know the truth. Not all of them preach the truth. Not all of them teach the truth. They're the reason people say, well, there's many ways to be saved. No, there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The apostle Peter said that it's only by the name of Jesus that we can be saved. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to be saved, and that is repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. But you have all these groups claiming to be the Lord's churches that are teaching things that are foreign to the word of God. I know this church preaches and teaches the truth and not trying to sound ugly, okay, but as long as I'm pastor, it will, you know. Every once in a while, I get to feeling bad. Well, you know, uh, we seem to be have more people going out the back door than coming in the front door. Maybe there's something we need to change. I don't know anything to change. If we want to be pleasing to the Lord, I don't have anything to change. And what I believe is if we will keep preaching the truth, God will send us some people who want to be in a church where the truth is preached, where the truth is heard, where the, the songs are sung to the glory of God. I made the comment on Facebook this morning that the preaching of the Word of God was never intended to be a sideshow. It is intended to be praise and worship and obedience to god folks and that's what we're doing here if anybody's watching by live stream and you're looking for a church home and you want one that preaches the truth not plays games you know i I wanted to figure out how to put on the sign we're not big but we don't play games and i figured that'd probably irritate some folks so i thought well (laughs) i don't want to get our sign busted out so i better not do that But we preach the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We want people to grow in the Lord. We need to wake up. We need to be instructed also because we're not like the world. We need to know the truth because we are not like the world. Abandonment theology causes us to adopt the attitudes of the church at Laodicea. You remember what they said in Revelation 3.17? I'm rich and increased with good and I don't need anything. But you get down to verse 22 and Jesus is pictured on the outside of that church knocking on the door asking entrance into his church. Let us never be like the church at Laodicea. This church had become lukewarm and they were, Jesus said, they were sickening. He said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And abandonment theology in part causes the laziness that we see among God's people today. The laziness of I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to witness today. I don't want to read my Bible today. I don't want to spend time in prayer today. And it's encouraging us to sit down and do nothing because Jesus is coming soon. And it is destructive in nature. Now we go to our text in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it tells us that wrong teaching about the resurrection overthrows the faith of some. Look at what he says. But shun, verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth the canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, there are a lot of folks like that, saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. What does abandonment theology do? It overthrows the faith of some folks. We're in the last days. Jesus is coming back to get us out of this mess. And so we're just not going to obey. And, you know, I, I don't even know for sure if he's coming back. I don't know what, you know, people get worried. I said, when COVID first started, I was getting questions from sometimes from people I didn't even know. What is happening? Be calm. First of all, if you know Jesus as Savior, you're going to be out of here When those last seven years start, don't worry about that. And even if you believe in a mid tribulation rapture, you're going to be out before the bad stuff starts, okay? (laughs) So cool it, all right? Our Lord has this under control, He knows what's going on. but he says it overthrows the faith some. It causes people to have a wrong attitude in these last days. Also what it does, it causes people to be shaken and troubled. Look at 2 Thessalonians, the first three verses. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters from us, As if the day of Christ is at hand, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Folks, the falling away is here. And this is just not people not coming to church. This is churches turning away from the truth. This is churches wanting to get into the entertainment business instead of in the gospel preaching business. Okay? So the falling away is happening but the falling away has to happen in order to prepare the stage for the man of sin. So if we're in the midst of the falling away, guess what? The man of sin had not come yet. I believe it's possible he's alive on this earth somewhere today. Now, I have some crazy thoughts sometimes. Thank you. Right on cue, I mean. But I think some of these folks may be like the Hitlers and the Cominies and The Sodom Husseins. And I wonder, were these people that Satan was trying to get to be the man of sin, but they didn't make it yet? I don't know. That's just some of my crazy thinking. And you can go with that or you can just ignore it altogether. But I know there's coming a man that's going to be completely sold out to Satan. And he is going to be the Antichrist. The wrong attitude of abandonment theology will cause us to forget our purpose in this world. We need to hold out faithful to the end, okay? That's what we're taught to do in the scriptures. But our purpose is as we are holding out faithful to the end to be witnessing of Christ and to be living for him. What's the cure for abandonment theology? Well, first of all, remember the instruction from God's word. Now, if there's one verse of Scripture I ought to have memorized, because this was drilled into our heads in seminary, and, uh, you know, after you don't do something for a while, you don't go over something for a while, you tend to forget. But 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to remember the instruction from the word of God. You know what that word study means? We think of study as we're getting down in the books. That study literally means to be diligent to make haste to use speed we need to now listen somebody saved; they're not going to grow to a mature child of God instantly it takes some time you have to learn you have to develop it's just like a child developing but that's the thing we ought to want to do is to grow to that maturity and the context of this is maintaining the truth especially in the light of the last days okay study to show that get into the word spend some time in it don't just skim over a few verses say i read my bible today just study the word of god i do something and you know if i have to just put it in the bulletin every week i'll do this but there are a few people who have asked me Because they, and I believe them, they say it helps them listen better. They ask me for a copy of my outline every Sunday. They get it. Anything that I have, anything that I have prepared over 45 years in the ministry is yours if you want it. May have to use the church's copier to copy it, but you know, it's yours if you want it at no charge. That's how. Important it is to me for God's people to be studying the Word of God, be in the Word of God. Second Thessalonians 2.5, Paul encourages the Thessalonians who had been shaken and troubled, just, just remember what you've been taught. Not only study the Word of God, but get it here and here. It's good to have it in your head, but you need it in your heart. I word of I head in my heart that I might not sin against thee, the psalmist said. He said, remember not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. It is so amazing to me. We can see people study the word of God for years and years and years. And then somebody comes on the scene with some new popular idea, theology, doctrine, or whatever. And there are people that will say, well, maybe that's right. You know what this? Book of Proverbs says, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers hath set. Listen, if it's in the Word of God, you study it, you know it from the Word of God, stick with it. But God's people will get shaken up. I pastored a young woman one time. She hadn't been saved very long. Or she hadn't been a church member very long. And one of these guys came out and predicted a certain date for the coming of Christ. And she was just all concerned about it. I said, don't worry about it. (laughs) You know, if God had been planning to send Jesus back on that date, he's not doing it now. Because the scripture says no man knows. Get into the word of God. Somebody said one time, there are three kinds of people in this world. There are people who are afraid. And there are people who don't know enough to be afraid. And then there's people who know their Bibles. Okay, and we need to be those people who know their Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 tells us these have been taught the truth. But the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Paul said, I've been there. I've taught you. Get it. (laughs) You know, I think nothing is as disturbing, I guess is the word, to a pastor As to teach something over and over and over again. Then somebody comes up and says, well, what about this? And it's the very thing he's taught for years. Didn't you get it? You know, and and get ready for an amen. I'm kind of a smart mouth sometimes. Thank you. (laughs) And sometimes I just want to say, where were you? You were sitting right in front of me. Why didn't you get it? Did it just go right through or did it go above, you know? Get it. Learn. The Word of God. And then remember the encouragement of God's Word. Over in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. That is that great chapter that Jesus is telling us about the end times. And listen to what verse 42 says. Watch therefore for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. What's the encouragement of God's Word? You watch. Now watch doesn't mean sit down and do nothing either. Okay? In fact, Jesus told us... In the scriptures that we're both to watch and to wait. Listen to what Paul said in First Thessalonians one ten. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols, and by the way, that's the proper order. You don't turn from idols to God, you turn to God from idols. Turn from to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. That word wait implies confidence and expectation. But it does not mean sit down and do nothing. What does a waiter do? He serves. She serves, okay? That's what a, and that's, so we've started calling them because we don't want to use waiter and waitress, right? Because my goodness, that designate one as a male and the other as a female. So what we call them now? Servers. They're servers. They're waiters. They serve. When the Lord says to wait, he means to be busy serving. We're to be busy doing. Now, I've had some waiters that I thought sat down and did nothing, okay? And I talked about them later. I may have reported them to the manager. But a good waiter, a good server actually serves, and we are to be servers. We are to work, and we are to labor, and we are to be busy serving the Lord until he comes. And coming to church on Sunday morning is not serving God. You say, what? What? It's not really. When I sit down at the table and eat my supper, I'm not serving my wife. She served me when she prepared the meal, right? What am I doing when I'm sitting at the table eating? <laughs> I'm just eating, boy. <laughs> I'm filling up. And we come on a Sunday morning. Yes, we sing songs of praise, and I guess that's serving God. And yes, we pray, and that's serving God. But we come so often, and we hear a message from the Word of God. That's eating, Okay? That's getting fed. And there's a lot of churches not getting fed today. The one thing I want to make sure you do, see, if you come on a Sunday, you say, why do you preach so long sometimes, Brother Jim? Because I want to make sure you're well fed when you go out of here. Have you ever gotten up from a meal and said, boy, I still feel hungry? You know the old joke about Chinese food you eat, it an hour later, you're hungry? I don't want anybody like that. I want people to be fed the Word of God. Because that's the thing that we need. Well, let's wrap up. I don't know. I thought of this song. and I'll conclude things. We sing a song called Work for the Night is Coming. Remember that song? That's an old song. Work for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling. Work mid-springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming. When man's work is done. Folks, the day's coming. The day's coming when we are not going to be able to work. Jesus told his disciples in the 24th chapter of Matthew, right after the verse that we read, talked about the master of the house coming back and he finds a servant that is serving him. He finds a servant that is being faithful to him. He said this, blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh, shall find so doing. I want to be serving the Lord if he returns before I pass away. In fact, I'd love to be just right in the middle of a sermon. Well, wouldn't that be good? Right in the middle of preaching and we're gone. <laughs> I'll finish this in heaven, all right? <laughs> I don't think I'd do that either. But wouldn't that be great to be in the middle of, ser- be in the middle of witnessing to somebody in the Lord returns. Abandonment theology is dangerous to lost and saved alike, folks. Why is it dangerous to lost people? Because it endangers their souls. Because saved people, and here's why it's dangerous to those of us who are saved. It makes us slack, it makes us lazy, it makes us disobedient in sharing the gospel with other people. And so that endangers the souls Of lost people. People have never accepted Jesus as Savior. And if they die in that condition. They're going to go to hell. This is sort of an unfair question. But I'm going to ask it. I don't expect any answers. I don't want any head nods or anything like that. But do you care that people go to hell? Do you believe hell's real? Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. But his instruction to us. As his children, you need to be busy working till I return. Abandonment theology says, don't worry about it. Sit down, fold your hands, relax. Everything's going to be all right. And that's in direct opposition to what our Lord said to do. It's easy to fall into this theology, isn't it? You can agree with that if you want to. I mean, it is. I'll admit it is. It's easy for a preacher to fall into that theology. But folks, it's one we want to avoid. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, it could be today. And if I believe that, I need to be busy serving him.